So um, the title of tonight's talk is The Brahma Viharas as Antidotes to Negative Judgments. Uh, the Brahma Viharas are four forms of love that were taught by the Buddha. Loving kindness, compassion, appreciative joy, and equanimity. And they can be really skillful antidotes for working with the judgmental mind. So to begin our sort of exploration of this idea, I want to start with a story that features beloved Buddhist and Jewish teacher and co-founder of Spirit Rock Meditation Center, Sylvia Borstein. So Sylvia will be 86 this month. Um, 15 years ago, when she was 71, she was in New York City and going to go see a Broadway show with a friend. And so she was taking a bus from where she was staying down to where the show was. So she hopped on the bus and and then there was terrible traffic and the bus wasn't moving. So she got started to get anxious and she decided to just get off the bus and walk. So she gets off the bus and... <laughs> She's walking along Broadway and there's still like, you know, I don't know, I'm thinking it was 16 blocks, but that could be an exaggeration, but a lot of blocks left to walk and she is on heels. She's rushing along. And so of course the bus passes her, you know, and so her anxiety is getting higher and higher. And she's like, am I going to make do the doors for the show? Am I going to see my friend? Oh, what's the matter with me? And the, the critic really kicked in. And, you know, for many of us, that would have been the end of the story. The critic kicks in, we get to the show or we don't, but particularly if we don't get to the show, the critic stays in high gear. But for Sylvia, she um, had years of mindfulness practice and so, and practice with the Brahmavaras. And so after she was kind of rushing along the sidewalk, fretting for a while, mindfulness kicked in and she saw what was going on. She saw herself, this woman moving along the sidewalk, anxious and freaked out. And mindfulness just kind of held it all with this observational curiosity like we were just practicing. And with that moment of mindfulness where she stepped out of the trance of the habitual thinking, the trance of the negative judging, and was just observing, then came a choice about how to respond. And um, she responded with loving kindness. She responded with friendliness. She, she did her Sylvia thing, but it's not just a Sylvia thing. It's a, it's a, it's a practice any of us can take on where she just held the whole experience in kindness and she has held herself in kindness, friendliness, warmth, and even appreciation, appreciative joy. Well, look at you, you're 71. You're rushing along the street in high heels. You should be proud of yourself. That's pretty awesome. And you know, the whole, the whole mood changed when she was able to bring in this energy of friendliness and care. And she did make it to the show. So uh, just, I'm gonna launch into long descriptions of all these different 
the, the Brahma Viharas and negative judgments and how they go together. But before I do that, I want to read you a poem by Fran Carbonaro. And as I read, just reflect on that possibility that no matter how lost we are in negative reactive judgment, there is always the possibility of meeting it with care and changing this energy. So this poem is called The Absence of Kindness. In the absence of kindness, take one deep breath and then let it go into the heat of confusion or an echoless emptiness where it may be swallowed up like a dove in a black hole. Listen as it coos gently in the dark. The next breath may disorient you. That's a good sign. Go ahead. Lose your way. Your point. Your imitation of someone you don't even recognize now. You've made a U-turn. And like a boomerang being struck by lightning, random acts of kindness now seem as natural as being breathed into self. That one who has forgiven any part of the whole that might have believed you were not enough. So I want to begin by kind of laying out the map of these different elements that we're looking at the beginning with negative judgments. And in order to kind of see that territory, I'm actually going to quote part of an essay written by one of my mentors, Donald Rothberg. And this is who I'm co-teaching the Transforming Judgmental Mind retreat with next week. This is an essay that he wrote titled uh, Transforming Judgmental Mind. So question, what are judgments? He says, I'm using the words judgment and judgmental to refer to reactive, negative, aversive evaluations of self or other. But we might ask, what's wrong with judgments? Don't we need to make self-assessments, criticize people who act immorally or unjustly, or know what's good or bad music or food? Martin Luther King Jr. in a 1967 sermon on judging others explored the famous saying of Jesus, do not judge and you will not be judged because the judgments you give are the judgments you will get. King acknowledged that it's very important to criticize racists and those who harm others, but that judgments, but that judgments bring many dangers. They're often based on very limited knowledge and understanding, and they may lead to self-righteousness and rigidity, self-deception, as when we judge others for what we ourselves might be judged for, hatred and polarization. 
He pointed to the importance of combining the insights of judgments at their best with love as a way to avoid these dangers. So sometimes we use the words, just an aside, sometimes we use the word judgment just in terms of discernment, and that's not what we're talking about here. We're talking about reactive negative uh, judgments of self and other. Just to clarify that. Donald goes on, in the context of our practice, an important key is whether and to what extent our judgments carry reactivity a strong and at times compulsive aversion, which can manifest in bodily tension, emotional charge, repetitive thoughts, and quick reactions. Does this sound familiar? This is so human. Negative judgments carry reactivity, strong and at times compulsive aversion, which can manifest in bodily tension, emotional charge, repetitive thoughts, and quick reactions. Our reactive judgments are also pervasive, are pervasive, occurring along a spectrum of intensity. I may judge the driver who talks on her cell phone and doesn't notice the light changing green. Or I may judge myself very harshly and fall into months of depression following the end of a close relationship. I may have a harsh judgment of a coworker stemming from a difficult experience two years ago. I may judge what I think to be my acquaintance's spiritual pretentiousness. I may internalize the negative judgments of my family or society about my gender, age, size, disability, sexual orientation, or ethnicity, and find that I have to deal with internal as well as external barriers as I live my life. Or I may judge a political leader disdainfully and become cynical. I just want to pause again and invite us to reflect on a reactive judgment that's fresh for you. It's been around recently. Could be a judgment of yourself or a friend or family member or coworker or public figure. Just invoking it. Just understanding this is a universal human experience. Bringing one to mind. And as the judgment is present, being aware of how does it appear at the verbal level? What's the storyline or the content? And how does it lead to or connect with other thoughts? And checking in with your body, is there a somatic, uh, bodily dimension to the judgment? Maybe contraction or vibration or movement of some kind in the body? What emotions are triggered by the judgment? Not asking to change anything, just bringing the light of mindfulness to this phenomenon. Okay, and so just bracketing that 
judgment, we're going to come back to it after we visit the Brahma Viharas for a little bit. The word Brahma, the words Brahma Vihara are Pali, and they mean divine abodes, uh, considered to be the divine abodes of the heart. Brahmas are like well, the Brahma at the time of the Buddhist life. Brahma was considered the highest sort of heavenly figure, and he was known to have four faces of love faces of love or abodes of the heart kind of love. And those four are metta or loving kindness, karuna or compassion, mudita, appreciative joy, and upekka, equanimity or inclusiveness. So these four have been taught since before the Buddha's time and certainly by the Buddha as uh, really not only refuges for the heart, but also like a skillful refuges for the heart, places where we can, we can cultivate that bring about ease. Buddhist scholar Nyanapanakathera says, quote, these four attitudes are said to be excellent or sublime because they are the ideal way to, of conduct toward living beings. They are the great removers of tension, the great peacemakers in social conflict, and the great healers of wounds suffered in the struggle of existence. They level social barriers, build harmonious communities, awaken slumbering friendliness long forgotten, revive joy and hope long abandoned, and promote human connection and care against the forces of egotism. So these four qualities, the first is metta, or goodwill or friendliness, and goodwill was the underlying motivation that led the Buddha to search for awakening and to teach the path to awakening to others after he found it. So goodwill is very fundamental, obviously not just in Buddhism, but certainly in Buddhism. Metta, the word, the Pali word is uh, derived from the word meet, which means friend. So it's a basic befriending friendliness. And what we can observe when we when we feel it, because it's a natural human experience, or when we cultivate it, which we can do, is that friendliness inclines us towards well-being. Whether we're being friendly towards ourselves in our own experience or friendly towards others, friendliness creates an atmosphere of well-being and inclines towards well-being. And when friendliness is present, annoyance diminishes. So the Buddha taught metta, loving kindness, friendliness, as a strategy for dealing with aversion of all kinds, including fear. And we can, we can, 
cultivate it, one of the ways we cultivate it is by seeking the lovableness of beings and their good qualities. So a skillful way, if we're wanting to intentionally cultivate this, this quality of friendliness, is to direct our attention where the lovableness of a being is apparent to us already. So if you have a, a child or a pet that you love or a, an admired benefactor or a dear friend or family member, starting where it's easy and the lovableness is already evident. And then just seeing you know, what that state feels like, this state of warmth, friendliness, well-wishing. So each of these four, again, it's, it's loving kindness, compassion, appreciative joy, and equanimity. Each of these four have what's called in Buddhism a near and a far enemy. And for uh, the near enemies can resemble the thing itself. And the far enemy is extreme opposite. But both of them are, are not the thing and they both lead us away from the thing. So in the case of uh, friendliness, the near enemy is wanting, attaching on, sort of craving the thing, wanting to possess the thing. And the far enemy is ill will or aversion. And what I want to point out as we go through these is that the far enemy of each of these four Brahmaviharas relates to the reactivity aspect of negative judgments. This reactive, aversive resistance to dislike of, shutting down in the face of, that is a part of negative judging. So when that far enemy is up, that means this Brahma-Vihara isn't in the room with us, or not very much. And as we bring the Brahma-Vihara into our experience intentionally, the aversive far enemy of the quality begins to recede. So again, the first is this general energy of friendliness and its near enemy is uh, wanting or craving or attachment and the far energy is ill will or aversion, far, far enemy. Okay, second of the four Brahma-Viharas is called Karuna in Pali or compassion. Compassion is the wish to alleviate suffering. And compassion is related to, to friendliness. It, it has friendliness as, as part of, of what it is. Friendliness is general. It's like just well-wishing and, and this warmth. Compassion is that sense of friendliness when it meets a being in pain, whether that's a being outside of ourselves or our own pain. When it meets the pain, the friendliness is intact, the awareness is intact, and there's and the desire, the responsiveness of compassion arises, the desire to alleviate the suffering arises. There's a wonderful quote from um, a, a Burmese monk 
said, when the sun of loving kindness meets the rain of suffering, the rainbow of compassion is born. So compassion doesn't allow for denial or complacency around suffering. It sees suffering and it cares and it wants to respond. Buddhist teacher Christina Feldman teaches that compassion is at the root of patience, forgiveness, and tolerance. It's in all three of those scenarios where we would want to invoke patience, we would want to invoke forgiveness, or we would want to invoke tolerance. There's something in us that you know, might turn toward resistance, impatience, non-forgiveness, intolerance. But instead we're meeting whatever that is with patience, and with forgiveness, and with tolerance. Well, these are really powerful qualities and compassion is at their base. So the near enemy of compassion, interestingly, is taught to be grief, sorrow. And not that grief and sorrow are wrong in any way. They're appropriate response to the pain of life. And the thing about them is that they can seem like compassion because they, they're an empathic response to pain. But the difference is that with grief and sorrow, we very often, the heart is burdened. You know, I know for me, when grief and sorrow arise, and they've been arising a lot lately, there's this weightedness, and this sense of fatigue, and just like, help, just sort of a sense of helplessness. <laughs> Compassion also perceives suffering, but it has this uplifting quality of responsiveness. Social scientist Angelus Arians said, the antidote to anxiety is action. Compassion has that action component to it, like finding some way to respond, still moving in the world, not feeling like I have to lay on the couch because I've got a ton of bricks on my chest. And, you know, very often we have to move through that grief and then we can move into compassionate action. But that's the difference between the two. And then the far enemy of compassion is considered to be cruelty. The absolute 180 opposite is considered to be cruelty. And cruelty, of course, has a, many different actions in the world. And cruelty can show up verbally, including within the verbal that goes on between our two ears here, even when it's not spoken, towards ourselves, towards others, So 
when we're not, when we have enough mindfulness to notice it, like Sylvia did when she was running along Broadway, the way that the mind was kind of reflexively going into that uh, hab- habituated, conditioned, negative self-judgment, and she heard the cruelty of it. She first responded with mindfulness, and then she antidoted it with loving kindness. And we can do the same with compassion. If a if a loving kindness response might be, you know, oh, you know, you're wonderful. I see, I see the lovability here. Then a compassion response might be, I care. I'm here. I have your back. May I hold myself in kindness. May I accept myself as I am. Just this meeting of pain with care and responsiveness. Okay, so that's loving kindness and compassion. Then the third of the four Brahma Viharas is called mudita in Pali or appreciative joy. It's a gladdening of the heart. And traditionally it's taught, this gladdening of the heart is taught as um, a response to the success and well-being of others. This really, I, I mean, you can immediately hear that that is absolutely flies in the face of comparing mind. <laughs> Rather than going to jealousy, which is the aversive, far enemy of appreciative joy, we go to, yay, you're thriving. Yay, you're doing well in the world. And we share in that joy. We share in the well-being of others. A lot of joy is generated when we're able to tap into that quality. Buddhist scholar Ajahn Pasano said, loving kindness and compassion usually seem beneficial and good to practice. When it comes to sympathetic joy, we do not think too much about it and tend to dismiss it. However, when you start watching your mind, you see the pettiness over and over again, the unwillingness to rejoice when someone does something good is seen in the snappy remark or the clever little synopsis of a person or situation, which are part of daily life and our inner relations with people, but which tend to be based in negativity or cynicism. There's that aversion showing up again. Such responses do not come from a place of gladness. They come from a sense of a smaller self. We attempt to lift ourselves up by putting down someone else. Now, when we observe this in our own minds, not to judge the judging, but rather to understand the common humanity of this is a thing human minds do, and it comes out of conditioning and habituating what we learn from the cultures around us, and it can be antidoted. We can remind ourselves, we can practice appreciation, 
even if we're not feeling it, we can act as if. But like loving kindness, it's usually easiest to begin where it's most accessible. Who do you naturally celebrate? Your child, your grandchild, your dog wagging tail. Just notice where is it already there and then you, we can cultivate it. One of the things I love about Buddhist practice is that really all that's required is willingness and perseverance. And, and every time we pick up, in this case, we pick up our willingness to, to appreciate, we're strengthening our capacity to appreciate. And I want to say that in more recent times, modern teachers have been um, including in this, in under the umbrella of appreciative joy, our own blessings, which we would call gratitude. We can be really, really deeply nourished by the beauty and the goodness and the sweet little moments in our own lives. And celebrating our own successes, not in a self-aggrandizing way, but in a recognizing way, not minimizing the good things that happen, small and medium and large. So just want to mention too, just, just because it's kind of interesting that the um, near enemy of appreciative joy is sometimes called agitated merriment. So what we want is for um, our appreciative joy to uplift us, to open our hearts, to, to have this sense of warmth and well-being that's the hallmark of all of these Brahma Viharas. We don't want the sort of caffeinated ah, 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 thing that can come when, you know, we're a little too hyped about something, a little not grounded. Yeah. And then the far enemy is envy or jealousy, as I mentioned. Comparing mind, negative judgment. Okay, and then the last one is upeka in Pali or equanimity, which is sometimes translated as balance. Thich Nhat Hanh translates upeka as inclusiveness. I super love that. Like balance, that word balance for me is a little dry. Um, but inclusiveness. So all we ever have is the present moment. Like no matter how much you think you're in the past or in the future, you're not. That's a thought. All that's ever happening is whatever's happening right now. And inclusiveness means whatever's happening right now, having a sense of acceptance about it, letting it be there. You know that? I don't have it up in front of me, so I'm not going to quote it well. But some of you do know this poem. Many, maybe most of you know. The poem, maybe all of you, probably all of you. The poem... The Guest House by Rumi. This being human is a guest house, each day a new arrival. And then Rumi goes on to name a, a variety of relatively difficult states, and he says, meet them at the door laughing. That's what equanimity is. It's like, yeah, no, life's not easy. I mean, it has its beautiful moments, but it's definitely got its sorrows and its challenges and its difficulties. 
Can we bring a sense of allowing to what's arising in the present moment? And then with that allowing, discern where we have the power to to act and where it's wiser to let go. And that's inclusiveness, just letting it be here for a minute, seeing what's here without immediately going into resistance. Buddhist teacher John Travis has this practice of silently thanking each moment. His, his, his teaching around that is, if I thank the moment, I'm less likely to be in contention with it. Inclusiveness. And think of the Beatles song, Letting, Let It Be. Things are as they are. So the near enemy of, um, I'm about to sneeze. I'm including that. (laughs) No, I think it's passing. The near enemy of, um, of equanimity, the thing that looks like equanimity but isn't, is indifference. We can include things if we just do not care. You know? But that's not. There's an aversion in indifference. The not caring is a shutting down or a shutting out. And the not caring, even though it can be totally free of affect, is a type of reactivity. So indifference is not equanimity. Equanimity is an inclusiveness, is an allowing, but it's filled with love. Remember the Brahma and his four faces of love? The fourth one was equanimity. It's full of love. It's the love of allowing. It's like one of the um, equanimity phrases is, I honor your journey. You know, that's super loving. When we can respect another person's journey and not try to control or fix. So, yeah. The near enemy is indifference. And then, guess what? The far enemy, once again, is aversion. But it's also greed. It's the, it's the kind of the ways that we push away or grab. It's reactivity. And what's so cool about equanimity is that the mind might be pushing away or grabbing. Like, equanimity can be present even when the mind is doing somersaults of reactivity, if we see it, if mindfulness is there and we see it, we can have equanimity with that. We can have equanimity with physical pain present. We can have equanimity with the contraction of emotional pain because we're in the midst of it all. We're including it. We're observing it. And finally about equanimity when you encounter suffering that you can't stop, no matter how hard you try. We need equanimity to avoid creating additional suffering, either by trying to change something we can't change or just by not being able to let go. With equanimity, we can channel our energy into areas where we can be of help. helps our goodwill be more focused and effective. Okay. 
So we've visited what is reactive judgment. We've visited these Brahmaviharas a little bit. Now I just want to put them together a little bit more. So this is a quote from Thich Nhat Hanh. One way of taking care of our suffering is to invite a seed of the opposite nature to come up. Every one of us has a seed of compassion. If you practice mindfulness of compassion every day, the seed of compassion in you will become strong. You need only concentrate on it and it will come up as a powerful zone of energy. Naturally, when compassion comes up, arrogance goes down. You don't have to fight it or push it down. We can selectively water the good seeds and refrain from watering the negative seeds. That doesn't mean we ignore our suffering. It just means that we allow the positive seeds that are naturally there to get attention and nourishment. So for me, what that means like down here in life is when reactivity or negative judgment arises in me and I have enough awareness to see that it's, it's up, I can intentionally bring in compassion or friendliness or appreciation or what is is letting things be equanimity. I can intentionally meet the moment and in that intentionally meeting the moment with a Brahmavara, I'm watering that seed of wholesomeness. The positive seed is getting watered. So concrete example, I was on retreat in May and as I was settling in the first couple of days of the retreat, judge, negative judgments would arise and I had enough mindfulness to see them. So whether it was seeing my own image in the mirror or, you know, there was no, we weren't talking, we were all in silence. So it was all just completely my own mind doing stuff. So seeing my own image in the mirror or a behavior that I was doing or um, seeing somebody else, judgments would arise. And each time a judgment would arise, you know, the habit was already kicked in that it would arise. It was already there. The like, for example, seeing the image, like I was tired one night and I saw the image in the mirror and judging mine didn't like what it saw. The judgment was already there, but the judgment was a mindfulness bell to immediately bring in friendliness and care. So each time a judgment arose, then immediately bring in, in my case, compassion. You know, I care about this pain, may I be free of this pain? May I hold myself in kindness? Or if it was judging somebody else, I care. You know, may you be safe, may you be peaceful, may you be healthy, may you be at ease. And it's cool, you know, because like the judging mind, the mind is a total chameleon just goes foo, 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 and it, it'll, it changes all over the place. And it's very sincere about it. You know, so you can notice the compulsive habituated negative judgment and then bring in the Brahma Vihara and their sincerity in that wish. Like as soon as I wished myself well, when I saw the judging of the image, there was all this warmth and open heartedness and this feeling of like, that body that you're seeing in the mirror deserves care. 
And of course I want to hold it in care. Of course I don't want to like be mean to it right now. And the same thing with others. As soon as the Brahma Bihara came in, then the heart got on board. It's like, a, of course that person is, you know, my Dharma sibling and I'm so grateful for them. You know, it's really neat how when we redirect that the heart can come on board and say, and really underscore the value of the wholesome energy. There's this quote that I read from a Tibetan teacher who said, grandmother mindfulness must watch over the child of deluded mind and keep her from getting into dangerous things. And that's what we're doing. We're mindfulness notices. And then the way we, you know, and then the, and then the child is redirected in, the, in this beautiful way. Child bring mind, because that's all of Buddhism is taught as a mind training. We're, we're teaching the minds, our minds, what practices, what focuses bring peace, bring freedom from suffering. Kristen Neff, who's a founder of uh, the whole mindful self-compassion movement, says kindness or actively comforting ourselves, recognizing that weakness and imperfection are part of the shared human experience. So this is an important insight, letting go of perfectionism and learning to be okay with being an imperfect human and that's how we all are understand our foibles and failures instead of condemning them. The emotion of compassion springs from the recognition that the human experience is imperfect. We ask, what does this need rather than how do I get rid of it? So this is this whole reorientation of kindness. And then I just, we're going to do a practice in a moment, but I just want to close with an uh, African proverb. Calm seas do not create skillful sailors. Meaning, if you're like me, and you have a mind that, you know, can get into judgments like nobody's business, that can be actually fertile ground for practice. Donald Rothberg teaches that transforming judgmental mind is a royal road to freedom. When the negative judgments become reminders to bring in mindfulness and love in whatever form is most available or skillful or comfortable in the moment, then they become the means for our awakening. Calm seas do not create skillful sailors. It's Wherever we are is fine. All right. Oh, and just one quote from the Buddha before we go into a practice. He said, bhikkhus 
And the word bhikkhus in Pali generally means all of us, those of us on this path. Bhikkhus, freed from greed, freed from ill will, not bewildered, with hearts possessed of friendliness. Abide radiating all four quarters of the world with loving kindness, compassion, appreciative joy, and equanimity. Pervading the whole world with a heart immeasurable, grown great and boundless, free from enmity and untroubled. Formerly our hearts were confined, but now our hearts are boundless. That's, that's the path we're walking. All right. So we're going to just do a little bit of a practice around that judgment that perhaps you invoked earlier. So you're calling it to mind. Letting it be your mindfulness bell. When the mind produces a negative judgment, it doesn't do it because it's a bad mind. It does it because it's doing the best it can and this is what it learned. This is the conditioning that minds get, both in terms of the wider culture and even to some extent our, our genetic heritage, the fight, flight, and freeze turned inward. So but the great news is we can practice, as I was saying, we can practice and, and actually change sort of the locus of, of the locus of information so that rather than the habit of negativity, we, we more and more have access to this warmth. Okay, so sitting comfortably. <clears throat> If you like, closing your eyes. Bringing in that negative judgment. And I'll offer phrases for <clears throat> another person and phrases for yourself, because some of us will have invoked judgments of others and some of us will have invoked self-judgment. Beginning with loving kindness. Okay. bringing to mind the object of the judgment. And some loving kindness phrases. May you be safe and well. May you be peaceful. May you be free of suffering and the causes of suffering. 
May I be safe and well in the midst of this. May I be peaceful in the midst of this. May I live with ease and kindness in the midst of this. compassion. May you find healing. May you find peace. May you be free from suffering and the causes of suffering. May I find healing in the midst of this. May I find peace in the midst of this. May I find healing. May I find peace in this moment. May I rest in care and compassion. We're going to move into appreciative joy. And now for this one, bring to mind a being for whom it's more accessible to feel appreciation. And let the appreciation nourish you. How wonderful you are in your being. I delight you are here. I take joy in your good fortune. May your happiness continue. How wonderful I am in my being. I delight I am here. I take joy in my good fortune. May my happiness continue. 
and finally equanimity. May you embrace change with stillness and calm. May you deeply accept this moment as it is. May I embrace change with stillness and calm. May I deeply accept this moment as it is. questions or comments? It's fine if not, but I just wanted to open up the opportunity if you do. Right, well, um, the recommendation for Brahma Viharas is choose one that resonates with you and then practice it for 10 minutes a day. I see Anastasia's here and wrote something. I don't wish Mitch McConnell well. What do I do? That's okay. We have our difficult people <laughs> and we don't have to, we don't have to start there. The idea is to um, start where it's accessible. So like, even if there's a fair amount of reactivity and ill will and negative judgment towards Mitch McConnell or anybody else, we can, we can if, if that person is too difficult, still cultivate the Brahma Viharas where it's more accessible. So your dogs <laughs> or wherever. And just enjoy that good feeling and let it begin to sort of refuel especially in these times where there are so many difficult people. Yeah. Glad you're here. Thanks for coming. Anything else? Phil. Um, thank you, Eve. This has been a great talk. I always enjoy it when you're here. Um, I, um, I had a situation that came up today and it seems very fitting that you're talking about all this. So um, I was riding my bike and a car came up behind me and it was in a tunnel and the driver blew his horn and it scared the heck out of me. Um, I reacted in anger. Then there was a lot of judgment from me about the driver um then you know i was making up stories about why he did that um then i 
became very judgmental about myself and my reaction. And then I became angry with myself. Um, so, you know, I think like when you get scared, there's, it's hard to bring in these uh, Brahma Viharas, but how, how do you think I could have, like, what could have I have done to be more skillful? Yeah, that is such a great story. <laughs> Who can relate to that story? Okay, Phil, do you see that every hand where where the camera is on went up? So this yeah. is what we do. So yeah, we have the fight, flight, and freeze, the, the limbic response. The horn goes off, that's scary, and then we can immediately go to fight and get angry. Like that that can happen just totally preconsciously, it's totally natural. And and then what that human mind tends to do is like with you see with all the hands, is then we is then we make stories why they're a creep, why am I making stories, what's the matter with self-judgment, you know, one thing leads to another. In Buddhism, in, in Pali, that's called papancha, where the, the mind just creates more and more stories. And at any point, whenever mindfulness arises in that, we bring in the Brahmavara. It doesn't have to be right at a certain point. It doesn't, like, we don't have to just only practice Brahmavihara if it just arises after the anger. It could be two weeks later, we've already had long stories and seen the therapist twice and the whole thing, you know, when we suddenly, real, mindfulness can come in and it's like, oh wait, I can, I can practice this other thing. So, you know, now you can do it. Like, okay, I can go back to, first of all, if at any point in this papancha train, um, self-judgment has come in we start there oh yeah we we're we're our we're our own main support so we got to start here like may i hold myself in kindness okay i can i can remember drop drop the stories of not good enough and what do i need right now you know so starting with self and then you know if and when, I mean, this kind of relates to Anastasia's question about Mitch McConnell, if and when, and there may not be a when, we're in the, we're feeling like called to practice metta for that driver, we can, but we don't have to. Wherever, whatever object we have that we're, we can practice uh, any of the Brahma Viharas, um, we're strengthening that wholesome response. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.